from the high desert in the great American Southwest. I bid you all good evening or good morning, as the case may be, and welcome to another edition of the radio program heard from the Hawaiian and Tahitian Island chains in the west all the way east to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands south into South America, north to the pole, and worldwide on the Internet. This is Coast to Coast AM, and I'm Art Bell. Great to be with you, and I have got something very special for you tonight. His name is Rodney Barker, and he is authored of... Uh, well, let me tell you, uh, Sunday on Dreamland, Linda Moulton Howe interviewed Rodney Barker. His book is called, And the Waters Turned to Blood. I repeat, and the waters turn to blood. It's not fiction. It's real. It involves something going on off the coast of North Carolina, and maybe way beyond that, something changing in our, uh, in our ocean. It'll scare the hell out of you. Uh, it did me. And uh, when Linda Moulton Howe finished her report on Dreamland Sunday, I said, oh, my God, I've got to get this guy on the air. And so he's going to be on the air here in a few minutes. I've got a couple of things I've got to take care of. For example, pleasurable duties like welcoming new affiliates, K-E-E-L-A-M, in Shreveport, Louisiana, a biggie, five kilowatts, non-directional, regional on 710, uh, welcome in Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm telling you, you are in for quite a ride, folks. This is a very different kind of radio program, as you will find out. Welcome to KHJJ AM 1380 in Lancaster, California. Great to have you on board. And uh, that fills in a nice little hole there in Lancaster. And welcome to KAAA. Now, these are people who, when they picked their call letters, wanted to be in front of the phone book, I think. Now that wouldn't get you there. You're still a K. Anyway, K-A-A-A in Kingman, Arizona, 1300 on the AM dial. Welcome. All right, my other big announcement is today is the release date for my book. It is called The Quickening. It's hardcover only. It's big. Uh, it's 336 pages. It is probably, you know, they, everybody tells me never say never. It's the definitive work that I will ever do on this subject, certainly. I think it may be the best work ever done on a subject of this sort, but that's my, you know, big-headed view. Today is the release date. Now, they were absolutely mobbed beyond redemption today already with people uh, wanting to order the book. So I'm going to give you some advice with what I'm going to tell you. The Quickening is just an absolutely beautiful book. To give you an idea, um, Daniel Brinkley said, a vast amount of information and research is in this book. The Quickening, the quickening will help you either control your destiny or be swept away by it. Daniel Brinkley. Uh, Brad Steiger said, prepare to be enlightened and frightened. Art Bell astutely illuminates the challenges and promises of the 21st century. Um, Whitley Strieber says, finally, someone has the guts and courage 
to just state it plainly, the world is blowing up in our faces. Wow, what a read, Whitley Strieber. So, uh, it's out. I know a lot of you have been waiting a long time for it. I'm going to give out one number only, and I'm going to tell you that number is going to be in gridlock, and your best shot to get a copy of the... Oh, there is one more important thing. Until I can't handle it anymore, I'm going to be signing autographed copies. First edition autographed copies. Uh, not as we did last time with stickers, but really signing it. So... All I can tell you is, if you want an autographed copy, order now. And, and I, I, I will let you know when it ends. In other words, when I've signed so much, I can't sign anymore. And then there will be no more autographed copies. So if you want a first edition autographed copy, here's the number. I'm going to give it to you right now. You can try it, but the odds are pretty good you're not going to get through. Your best chance is after 8 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Time. After 8 a.m. Eastern Time, the quickening is here. And by the way, it will ship immediately. You know, you'll have it within 10 days. The number is 1-800-864-7991. That's 1-800-864-7991. Now, if you want to see what the book looks like, the cover of the book is on the website uh, as of now at www.artbell.com. www.artbell.com. And if you just want to send in a check, it's $24.95 plus $5 shipping and handling. It's just like my last book. I will give you uh, an address... If you want to order by check or money order, the address is, are you ready? Paper Chase Press, 8175 South Virginia Street. That's 8175 South Virginia Street, Suite 850D. That's 850D is in Denmark. In Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada. Uh, zip code 89511. 89511. As a matter of fact, uh, they will ship it to you now in 5 to 10 working days. Uh, if you want priority shipping, they can even arrange that. And I'm not going, going to go into right now what the quickening is about because tonight's show uh, is part of it. Is part of it. And um, I will go into a more detailed trip here in the next hour about the book. Now, to Los Angeles and Rodney Barker. Rodney, are you there? I am, Art. Uh, thank you for coming on the program uh, with such short notice. Well, I'm pleased to be here. And let me say congratulations. I think we both know the personal investment that goes into writing a book. And to be your guest on the publication date of your own book is an honor for me. I equate it to giving birth. It's kind of like as close as we can come to knowing that. Yeah, as we'll ever know. That's right. Um, so thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about it all, and uh, I'm very excited about your book as well. It's called "And the Waters Turned to Blood," and we're going to get to why that title in a moment. But first, tell me something about yourself. Who is Rodney Barker? Well, thanks for asking. Um, 
I, my home is Santa Fe, New Mexico, but I am a former newspaper editor, magazine writer, and nonfiction author of four books who really goes where my stories take me. And the first book took me to Japan. second book was set me in the Southwest. The third book took me to Moscow, um, and if you're interested, I can tell you how it led to my fourth book, which is And the Waters Turned to Blood. Well, I, I am. I was in Moscow uh, not long ago. It's a strange It certainly place. is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you were, uh, how, what's the Moscow connection? To? Well, my previous book was called Dancing with the Devil, and what I did was revisit the marine spy scandal of the late 80s. Um, when Marines were um, being seduced by KGB beauties and allowing them into the Moscow Embassy. Oh, yes. Um, and yet, after all the pronouncements by Cap Weinberger of this being this great um, breach in security, there was only one prosecution, and it was a fellow named Clayton Lone Tree. Um, there were some interesting sort of uh, irregularities about that whole court-martial, and with the end of the Cold War, I thought, here's a tremendous research opportunity. So. I went over to the old Soviet Union and actually almost put together my own operation. I hired some disgruntled ex-KGB um, uh, people and uh, to learn what happened over there on the Soviet side, how many secrets were compromised, and the whole sort of seduction of Westerners that was part of the sexual recruitment. Uh, learned about that strategy and to meet the women who were involved in that too. You actually interviewed the women? Mm-hmm. Must not have. Was that a hard duty? <laughs> well, yeah, I kept waiting for one of them to sort of run at me. Um, no, it, it was it was interesting because um, I mean, certainly the the KGB people I worked with. Um, one of the strategies that I use in my investigative research art is to look for disgruntled ex-employees, and that can be true for anything. And I mean, the people living on pensions over there with the KGB are, are disgruntled. Oh yes. Uh, the women were extremely expendable. I mean, they were used on the service of the state at a certain time and have been dropped, and so they have disillusion in a lot of ways. Um, some of them actually got involved in that because they were hoping that their, their seduction of Westerners would lead for a, a ticket out of the uh, Soviet Union. Well, listen, there's a lot of um, groups now in Russia, as I'm sure you're aware, that are inviting American men over to meet, marry, and take away Russian women. That's I mean, right. Big you trade bet. in that right now. You bet, yeah. I do remember the scandal you talked about, and I remember the networks uh, showing a photograph of one particularly, incredibly, strikingly beautiful yep. uh, Russian woman. I, I believe her name was Violetta, and you know, I, I got to learn about, about Violetta and her background and what it was like to grow up in that society. I became very close with her mother and sister, she was very guarded and wary, and she had what what they look for when they are looking to recruit people to work for the security services over there, and it was described, interestingly enough, as Judas properties. Judas properties. That's appropriate, I guess. Mm -hmm. All right, so anyway. So anyway, how that leads to this book is, is that there was a retired intelligence officer who was involved in that investigation who said to me, listen, when this book is done, I'd like you to come down and visit with me in North Carolina and go fishing. And he had a boat. And this was in the fall of 1995, in October, and I went down to North Carolina to go fishing, fully expecting to have an enjoyable fishing trip. And we, we canceled that because it was the end of a season of fish kills in which um, they say some 40 million fish um, were dying in the estuaries of North Carolina. What? Forty million? Forty million over the course of that summer. 
and I didn't know much about this, and so instead uh, so of going, I'm sorry to stop you, Rodney. Yeah, sure. Forty million. When was that, please? This was the summer of 1995. Ninety-five. So we're talking just uh, about a year and a half ago, coming up on almost two years ago. <laughs> I mean, that by itself should have been a world-class headline story. Forty million fish dying. Uh, in the estuaries there in North Carolina, North Carolinians, uh, prepare yourself. What you're going to hear is going to scare the hell out of you. Um, but why wasn't that major world-class news in 95? Well, actually, Bar I, well, I mean, CNN covered it. Um, a lot of the national media covered it. It was fragmentary. Um, and uh, I mean, North Carolina, understandably, did not, did not want to have a lot of publicity out on it. Um, but it, it was reported. They, there have been fish kills in our coastal waters for quite some time, but certainly nothing like this before. What was killing them? Well, that was what I didn't know until I went over to a meeting uh, instead of going fishing, and it was a meeting of state officials, and there were angry fishermen and crabbers, and there were some scientists there, and that's where I first learned about what has been called the cell from hell. The cell from hell. Uh, the cell from hell. Good name when, when you hear, folks, what this thing is. Linda, when, when I listened to the interview yesterday, um, Linda said this cell is part animal, part plant. Can, is that true? Well, actually, not exactly. It, it comes from the family called a dinoflagellate. And a dinoflagellate can be part plant, part animal. animal. And in its animal form, it is responsible for things like the red tides we've heard about. As far as the animal form, there's been nothing before known like the creature that causes the kills in the North Carolina estuaries. Again, which is not a plant, it is an animal. It's an animal. It's an animal. Then it's... what? class of animal is this? Well, I mean, it is a, a unique creature that lives in the sediment on the bottom of the estuaries that they believe has been around for millions of years, lying dormant, and has only been in the past few years that this thing has emerged and is releasing this incredible toxin. This thing is like the, the character out of a figure out of Alien. It's a shape-changing little organism that enlarges in size and releases a very, very powerful neurotoxin. We are talking, are we not, about a microorganism? We are. We are. Um, and yet, when you see pictures of it as it goes through its changes, I mean, it looks like something um, from outer space. I mean, it is like almost like a science fiction um, story. As this little organism enlarges, goes through these different changes, and turns into a powerful, really mini sea monster. May I ask this? Do you have uh, um, microscopic photographs of this thing? Yeah, there are pictures in the book. Not not a lot of pictures, but there's a picture of the organism, not only as it's seen enlarged, but also, as we'll get to, I'm sure, a little later, feeding on human blood. Feeding on human blood. All right, uh, Rodney, so everybody knows your work is not fiction, and everything you're telling us is uh, dead true fact. And, and uh, actually, you wrote about the botanist, I guess, uh, yeah. Who discovered all this? Is that correct? I certainly do. It's mainly her, told through her eyes. It's her story and her discovery. And it's been confirmed in prestigious scientific journals around the world. All right. Uh, stay right where you are, Rodney, and we'll be back to you. Rodney Barker and the Waters Turn to Blood is my guest. Stand by, North Carolina.
the CBC Radio Network. Now, back to Los Angeles and Rodney Barker. Rodney, um, all right. Um, you s- said something just prior to the break about human blood. Uh, what what does uh, this new horrible little thing killing fish have to do with human blood? Well, what happened, um, Art, is that the way this whole story evolved is that um, in North Carolina um, there were uh, there was a, a mysterious mortality in the veterinary school with the fish pathologists, and something was killing the fish that they didn't know what, couldn't explain it. And the scientist there who was working with it finally gave up, and he turned for help to a female aquatic botanist named Dr. Joanne Burkholder. And this woman, over the next couple of years, identified what the killer was. Where and, was she? Was she at a university? Yeah, or North Carolina State University. North Carolina State, okay. And she discovered that there was this little organism that would live in the bottom of the tank, that would come up and release this powerful toxin that was killing fish, and then it would go back down. Um, and uh, she, about two years after that, tracked it to the estuaries and found that was its natural setting. In the process of doing studies and experiments on it, she became ill and her lab assistant began to sort of suffer from problems that were not immediately apparent. They were insidious the way they developed and he began to manifest symptoms that the doctors thought was either premature Alzheimer's, multiple sclerosis, or Parkinson's syndrome. And they didn't realize that what it was is this organism, the toxin that it releases to kill fish, is a neurotoxin that gets airborne. It aerosolizes. It gets airborne. And they, they were breathing it and didn't know it, and it was having those chronic effects on them. Uh, of course, they were, I guess, investigating very concentrated... Uh... Not really. No? She was, and she was hit by these strong cultures, but he was over a period of time. It was more dilute cultures. And so there we have two examples where researchers, one exposed to it acutely, and then the other exposed to it over a period of time on more lower levels, both began to exhibit these kinds of symptoms. Oh, my. Now, I've heard a million stories around the country Mm -hmm. about fish swimming in circles. Yeah, I've heard more of those, too. Is that related to this in any way? It's really hard to know. I mean, I think that this situation that our waters um, are continuing to be contaminated by a variety of sources and that they are manifesting problems in wildlife that um, then neurologically is something that's on the increase. It's hard for me to speak to the specific situations because I don't want to overspeak. I think the water needs to be analyzed. The scientists need to come in on this. But certainly it is, um, it is ominous. Here's from, uh, let's see, the Wilmington, Delaware uh, Sunday News Journal. Uh, the headline is, Soars on Fish Baffle State Officials. It says state environmental officials are mystified by what is causing lesions and open sores that appear on fish mm-hmm. uh, that are now being harvested, and it's it's horrible. And um, even catfish, and they don't understand at all what it is. Now this is all the way up in Delaware and Maryland. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the, yeah. What you're talking about this organism, the epicenter of the problem is clearly North Carolina. 
um, for reasons we can talk about. But this scientist has found this organism as far north as Delaware. It was responsible for wiping out an aquaculture facility in the Chesapeake Bay last summer. She's found it in uh, all along the coast in South Carolina, Georgia, all the way around um, Florida and all the way over to Mobile Bay, Alabama. All right. The next obvious question before mm-hmm. we investigate this further is where the hell did this thing come from? Yeah. Well, it's a story that I, I believe that, you know, you um, the thematically you address in your book, Art. Um, they believe the organism has probably been around for millions of years, lying dormant and benign in the bottoms of the coastal waters, and it was changing environmental conditions that brought it up. What happened is that over the past 30, 40 years in North Carolina, you've had rapid growth. You've had industrial growth, and you had uh, the pesticides being put on the tobacco farms, and all that runoff has been going to the waters and washing down to the coastal um, areas. And it poised the system for one more big thing, and what happened is that North Carolina, seeing the writing on the wall about tobacco, courted the swine industry. And now North Carolina is number two behind Iowa in hog production, and they courted them with lax environmental laws. And the effluent from all that corporate hog farming has been going into the rivers. Um, and what we're talking about is a toxic soup down there that has allowed this organism that was previously unknown to emerge and flourish and attack with a vengeance. All right. Do we know for sure that it's been there for millions of years? No, this has to be the theory um, right now. And there's also precedent for these organisms being transported around the world in a variety of ways. Ballast water in ships is one big one. This is such a terribly serious story that yeah. I want to be very careful yeah. To delineate between what we know and what what right. is what is theory. I appreciate that, and I, and I do too. Um, so, I mean, right now they have found it almost everywhere they've looked. Biolo- biologists, water biologists, have asked for Dr. Burkholder to come and either teach them how to identify this organism, or they have sent her samples where they are having mysterious die-offs of fish that are unexplained by normal circumstances. And even physicians are contacting her where they are seeing mysterious medical syndromes um, that sound similar to the kind that those exposed to this organism are exhibiting. All right. What are the human symptoms? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that goes back to answering in a roundabout way about the human blood. What they're finding is that there are four routes of exposure where you can be personally affected by this organism. When it moves into its toxic stage um, and releases that toxin into the waters, or it goes after fish, and it's clearly it's fish it's going after. That toxin, if you come into hand contact, dermal contact, not only can you develop the same kinds of sores that are, that are, that are turning up on the fish, but that toxin can into your, get into your system. So if you go water skiing or you go swimming or you're a child going to one of the camps down there in North Carolina, um, you can be exposed to it in the water just by touching the water. The second way is, is if you have a cut and it gets into your bloodstream, this thing has a voracious appetite for human blood. Now, Appetite eats, for appetite. human blood. Yeah, now it does. The, the good news is that apparently it eats itself to death, that it will eat and eat until it, 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 eat, until it dies. But that is another route of exposure. The third we talked about is aerosolization. They were, they're finding that there are people down in those coastal areas 
who are exhibiting the same kinds of symptoms that the researchers in the lab unknowingly exhibited. All right, and again, I want to, I, I would like to make it clear, you're talking about open sores that don't heal? I'm talking about open sores that don't heal. I'm talking about cognitive impairment. Um, I'll move into more of it. We're talking about immune system suppression. Really? We're talking into a whole, the, the very the very insidious thing about this organism is we don't fully understand all the health effects. And that is a, that is really disgraceful because health officials were informed a number of years ago about the potential and they have delayed investigating them. But let me say the fourth area of possible a possible infection for people. An infection is probably the poor word, but pus contamination has to do with seafood. Um, this well, thing, this toxin, can not only kill fish by boring holes in them and by paralyzing it, but it can contaminate seafood. And they haven't even done studies to be, be absolutely sure that a lot of the seafood coming out of North Carolina is not infected with this. So toxin. you mean not just fish, but other seafood that would be harvested in... in Shellfish. So we're talking fin fish and so shellfish being no. marketed nationally, coming out of North Carolina. Now, let me say, Art, because we don't want to scare people unnecessarily. You're scaring me. Yeah, I know. For the most part, if you cook fish, it neutralizes toxins, but not all toxins. And that was why it's so important for that fishing industry there to be able to say to people, listen, we will give you meaningful scientific uh, reassurance that our fish is safe, and right now they can't do that. Um, who knew about this agency-wise, and how long ago? Yeah, that's important, because what this story chronicles, Art, is the, is the discovery process by this very determined and brave young scientist, female scientist, and the struggles and frustrations she has as she tries to bring it to the attention of the environmental and health bureaucracies in North Carolina, who at first you know, resisted her findings. I almost came to feel there's a scientific equation that discovery equals skepticism plus jealousy. I mean, they kept demanding more science. They kept more information. They didn't believe her. They put her off. And then when they finally um, were just compelled by the sheer amount of evidence to say there was a problem, they funded some money and it became part of a scandal um, in terms of the, where the money went and who got it. And so we have very few answers now that we didn't have three years ago when the legislature there appropriated over a half million dollars. God, we're idiots. I we're know. such idiots. Uh, we are literally destroying our world. And we are protecting that destruction politically because of money. I think there's two things here. I think that our agencies, our health agencies, are crisis-driven. They wait until there is a clear um, health problem. People are actually just rolling over and dying before they'll respond sometimes, I think. It reminds me of the ozone thing. Yeah. I mean, you've got measurements by NASA and by everybody else who's in space, of the depletion of the ozone. We know at what rate it's going, although, by the way, it is now speeding up. And, uh, and by the way, ozone uh, certainly can't be ruled out as, uh, you know, the depleted ozone with the increased radiation, UV radiation, as something that might have keyed this as well. Well, you're right, because we're talking about climate change as having an impact on this. I mean, a lot of sort of new and mysterious you know, um, phenomena is going to be occurring as a result of the changes we're bringing to our environment plus climatical changes that we have absolutely no control over. Um, I've got a very great deal on the, on the changing climate, and again, it's part of my 
very much a part of my book, The Quickening. But uh, I, uh, well, I'll get back to that. I, I just uh, this uh, has my mind blown. I would like to hear from uh, from some people in North Carolina. We can do that. We're heard extensively in North Carolina, and I'm sure as a lot of people listen to this in North Carolina this morning, they're going, "Oh my God!" Or would you say they already know about it? I just finished a week of touring in North Carolina, and yeah. um, it was on all the media. It was on TV and radio and print. I think a lot of them are familiar with it. I certainly would be glad to hear from any of the listeners too. there. I mean, that state is, is in shock because from around the country, they've been getting calls from people who were planning their vacations there, who have friends who have retired there, or they wanted to retire there, or they were sending their kids to camp, and they want to know if it's safe. Now, clearly, not all of North Carolina faces this problem, but there are definitely sick rivers and estuaries and sounds there that are unhealthy places for people, particularly spring, summer, and fall. Well, if the news has been big in North Carolina and reported widely, mm -hmm. Why in the hell hasn't it been reported nationally? Well, now, Art, I'll tell you, I was on Good Morning America a week and a half ago. Um, I debated with public health officials on CNN, so the word is getting out. Well, no, wait, you debated with public health yeah. officials. Yeah. What was their side of it? What were well, they? Well, came, they came on and said that I was exaggerating the fear and that it was not as pronounced as I, I made it the case to be, and I refuted them with a letter that I'm looking at right now that they had not even been aware of. And that was is that 110 physicians three weeks ago wrote to Vice President Al Gore yes. saying that these are physicians from the coastal counties of North Carolina saying physicians are notoriously uninvolved politically. However, we are seeing medical syndromes we do not understand. We feel they are connected to the rivers and to this organism there. And they're asking on that national level, Al Gore, because he has a history of being interested in environmental issues, Indeed. to become involved in this issue. A hundred and ten physicians from North Carolina? When I saw this letter and I went through the page after page of signatures, I was reminded of the first time I stood in front of the wall, the Vietnam Memorial, and looked at all those names. Oh, my God. I, um, well... Good Morning America is pretty good. CNN is pretty good. But, you know, until Dan Rather, Tom Brokaw, mm -hmm. and companies say it on the evening news with a big in-depth story, it doesn't sink in. I know. Well, that's why I'm so glad to be on your show, because even the New York Times science section two weeks ago had an article about it. But you know, it, this is getting out in a fragmentary way, and the opportunity to appear on shows like yours and reach a whole other audience is important. I understand the economic impact for North Carolina of what you're saying, Rodney. You, you bet. Yeah, I'm sure you do, too. Mm -hmm. uh, but I guess we're apparently we're not telling the people of North Carolina anything. Is there a... Uh, campaign going on in North Carolina in some agencies, in your opinion, to keep this story minimized? Well, the, you, 
you have a tough situation there because I mean tourism is a big industry. Of course. And so is the fishing industry and then and they depend upon a clean and healthy environment. And while they privately have acknowledged to me, yeah, we got a problem and we should never have been in this situation. On the other hand, they don't want their immediate industry to be impacted. Of course not. So they're publicly going going on the air and saying, listen, things are fine. Come on down. Don't worry about it. And then out there saying, well, yeah, I wish you could say that, but show us the scientific findings that can prove that. And let's have meaningful reassurance, not just optimistic proclamations. Um, is there any way to make a determination about the speed of the spread of this? I think we're going to, it's going to, you mean in North Carolina or up and down the coast around the country? Well, or, or how it might spread, if yeah. it will spread, yeah. if it is spreading. Well, let me say that we, the scientists have told us for quite some time that we can expect our coastal waters to be the breeding zones for these new and emerging harmful organisms if we continue to put population and pollution pressures on them. And if you look at our population migrations, our, it used to be from rural to urban. Now it's our coastal states that are increasing in population the most. Yes. Um, so, I mean, it doesn't bode well for the future. Now, it may be this organism, and its scientific name, by the way, is Fisteria piscicida. Wait a minute. Uh, are, are you there? I am. Fisteria Fisteria piscicida is its scientific name. I mean, again, this, this scientist has found this wherever she's looked. It may be other organisms that are very similar to it, and that's why I'm in California, going to San Francisco and then Seattle, talking to other coastal areas here where they, too, are having what is called the fertilization of waters, changing the ecology, and having new kinds of organisms emerging. So, All right, I, I want to get this down. Fisteria, I've got. Uh, yeah. Give me the last one. Piscicida. That, it's Latin for fish killer. Cita. Okay, Piscicida. Yeah. But there, it, it's clear that there are probably similar species lurking in the sediment all around the world, just awaiting the right environmental conditions to shift in their favor. It's kind of like a bomb set to go off when it gets the right uh, signal. It certainly is. It's a ticking time bomb. And, I mean, third world countries that are um, that are, don't have the kind of environmental controls that even we do are seeing these kinds of problems, too. I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's a global issue. What has happened to this very brave uh, biologist? Well, she is withstanding some withering um, criticism from state agencies and fellow colleagues, but she has also um, generated a great deal of support and sympathy. And I happen to know that there are proposals now um, that are being made to the governor that she be elevated to a position, a higher position than she is at the university, and she'd be able to devote full time and have financial resources to continuing the study of this organism and other dangerous organisms in the aquatic waters of I mean, areas of North Carolina. Do we have time? Well, let me tell you this. This organism likes warm weather. Um, its main season is spring, summer, and fall. And that is also the height of tourist season. In, in other words, we're coming into that season yeah. right now. Yeah. And if they have another Great. summer like they had in 95, where another tens of millions of fish die, I mean, North Carolina is in real trouble. 
All right. I'm going to restrict my line uh, east of the Rockies to North Carolina uh, is what I'm going to do. Stay put. You can rest for a few minutes, uh, Rodney. If you're in North Carolina, your number is 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. Everybody else, please hold off. This is such a giant magnitude story. Uh, that we better do a little investigative reporting here uh, back into the state of North Carolina where, where we are heard while, uh, uh, absolutely uh, widely. So stay right where you are. There's more to come. This, this is CBC. Toll-free, west of the Rockies at 1-800-618-8255. 1-800-618-8255. East of the Rockies at 1-800-825-5033. 1-800-825-5033. This is the CBC Radio Network. It is indeed. I just got a fact that sums up what you're about to hear. Art, tonight's subject matter is of the same magnitude of impact as a nuclear bomb can have in its, in its potential to upset your day. That's in quotes. Einstein once said, there are two things that are infinite. One is the universe, and the other is the stupidity of the human race. How many wake-up calls do we need? That's from Daryl in Los Angeles, and it's right on the money. My guest is Rodney Barker. His book is And the Waters Turned to Blood. And what you're about to uh, hear is going to scare the hell out of you, and it should. Uh, I've got quite a bit of material, um, which I'm going to use as setup for this, but I, I, ne I need, once again, to take a moment out and tell you this is the release date or was seven minutes ago, for my book that uh, so many of you have been waiting for so long, called The Quickening. And believe you me, that's what we're talking about this morning. The quickening. If you doubt that, stick around for a few depressing minutes. <laughs> anyway, I, you know, this book poured forth from me. I knew it was the right book for the right time. It absolutely is. It chronicles in every, and I mean chronicles as in documents, in every uh, uh, area of human endeavor, uh, politically, socially, economically, our weather, our earth changes, uh, an exponential quickening that's going on in our society. And when I say document, I mean document. This is a 336-page hardcover book available as of now. <laughs> as of now. 
now, I've got to put a couple of caveats in here because they're totally swamped and you're not going to be able to get through. Uh, the price of the book, by the way, is $24.95 plus $5 shipping and handling, uh, just like my first book, The Art of Talk. And the waters turned to blood. I've got an article from Wilmington, Delaware, entitled Sores on Fish Battle, uh, Baffle State Officials. I just got a story from Steve in Portland. You may have seen it earlier on CNN. Crawling in mass from the sea, they are piling up on shore, providing a bonanza for beachcombers, but a serious concern for fishermen, a, quote, red tide, end quote, of crayfish has accumulated on the shore 150 miles north of Cape Town, South Africa. And residents have arrived from far away to see the odd spectacle and carry away as much seafood as they can. The crayfish have been coming out of the water for the last four weeks. They're trying to escape a red tide caused by a type of phytoplankton, I can't pronounce that, that deplete, depletes oxygen levels in the sea, an estimated, get this, uh, 1,000 tons of crayfish have walked out of the ocean so far, and marine experts are very worried, as are local fishermen, whose livelihood has suffered due to the crayfish exodus. In other words, they are committing suicide. They're just walking out of the sea, period. Now, whether or not that is related to what my guest is talking about in North Carolina remains to be seen. Uh, Rodney, we are joined at this hour by Los Angeles and San Francisco. So we're going to have to retrench a little bit. Um, are you there, Rodney? I am, Art. All right. Um, your book, again, is not fiction. Everybody needs to understand this is well documented. What you're about to hear is truth, not fiction. Agree? Agreed with that? Do you agree with that, Rodney? Oh, absolutely. I want to be very careful. All absolutely. right. Absolutely. Uh, you have discovered, or that's not right, yeah. you have written a story about a botanist who has discovered a new organism in North Carolina. Now, you just heard what I read about in Africa. Mm-hmm. Does that sound the same? Oh, it sounds very similar. Um, in fact, before they discovered what this organism was that was causing um, marine animals to behave so strangely, they were having what they called crab walks in North Carolina waters, where crabs were climbing out of the water, trying to climb pilings and posts and going on shore to get out of the water like there was something harmful in there, and they just didn't know what it was. And now we do know what it is. And that sounds uncannily similar. All right. This, again, it's called Fisteria piscicida. Piscicida, yeah. It's a microorganism that has lived in the sediment um, of the coastal waters of North Carolina, but it's been found all up and down the eastern seaboard and around over into the Gulf of Mexico. It attacks fish with a powerful toxin that bores holes in them. It paralyzes them. It feeds on them. And it also is releasing toxins that are, appear to be having profound human health effects. Human health effects, like, get this, folks, um, it feeds on human blood. Am I correct? Yep. It produces open sores. We're talking about conditions in human beings now, not just fish. Mm -hmm. It is airborne. Is that correct? Yes. 
um, it affects cognitive uh, brain uh, ability, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, much as uh, Alzheimer's uh, does. It affects the immune system, uh, suppresses the immune system in human beings. Is, is that an exaggeration? No, it's not. In fact, when, um, what they call it is, when they see what it does to fish, is fish aids because it so suppresses their immune system and makes them vulnerable to a whole range of opportunistic diseases. And there are those who even wondered if people chronically exposed to it in the waters themselves are not suffering with a suppression of the immune system that makes them not dissimilar from HIV patients. So in other words, you're saying that even swimming in those waters that are infested, as you talk about, in North Mm -hmm. Carolina and maybe elsewhere, Mm -hmm. um, if you had an open sore... It could get into your bloodstream mm-hmm. and and uh, with, and produce all of those symptoms. Yeah. The, yeah. Bot, the botanist who did the work on this herself got sick, and somebody else you said got sick. Oh, in the laboratory they have had problems. Ten different researchers in six different labs have suffered from a range of symptoms similar to what we're talking about. We're killing ourselves. We're out of our minds. I um, all right. How many of the waterways in North Carolina would you estimate are affected? Well, what we're talking about is primarily the Pamlico Sound, which is the large sound, the Albemarle and the Pamlico Sound, which are held in by the Outer Banks. And you have three main rivers that feed them, the Pamlico, the Noose, and the New River, but it's also been found in the Cape Fear River. I mean, all those waters along that area seem to be the epicenter of the problem right now. All right, from um, Greg in Seattle, our talk about a crisis of biblical proportions. This is the same organism that causes red tide poisoning in shellfish, question mark. Is it? Um, it is similar to the um, organism that causes red tide. The difference is, is the red tide um, dinoflagellate is what they call is a plant. And this is similar, but it is an animal. It has the nutritional um, needs of an animal. Um, so it is similar, but it is also different. All right, it goes on. Would you ask your guest to clarify mm-hmm. under what conditions this organism might adapt totally, for example, to fresh water, and what the potential is for massive bloom or blooming that might mm-hmm. eventually affect drinking water? Yeah, all good questions. Um, it, it has exhibited a, a tolerance um for absolute fresh water to absolute seawater, but it clearly prefers brackish water, which but is it, a mix of fresh and seawater. It can it can live in in fresh water. Yeah, it can live in it, but the, but the, it, it seems to like the best a mixture of the salt and the fresh. All right, now um, the thinking is the theory, ladies and gentlemen, is that this horrible thing has been waiting like a time bomb for millions of years. Uh, in the water at the at the bottom, is that yeah, is yeah that in correct? sediment, in sediment, and that all of the uh, pollution that we've been putting into our waters, uh, particularly uh, in North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, has caused this thing to suddenly come alive. Right. Is is that a no? Yeah, altered ch- environmental conditions have allowed it to emerge in numbers and with a ferocity that was unknown before. All right. Um, I want to take a couple of calls as this story unwinds, uh, and I realize a lot of you are new to it uh, by about five or ten minutes, uh, but I want to take a couple of calls from near the area. 
Uh, so, east of the Rockies, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Good morning. This is Marty from Virginia Beach, Virginia. I have the Albemarle Sound to my back door mm. and have been adjacent to it for over 20, 39 years of my life. Mm -hmm. um, the old-timers can tell you of, some of the same things that have happened with fish kills uh, years ago uh, in regards to if we don't have a lot of rain, push a lot of sediments out and cycle the, the earth like it's supposed to be, I believe if you do some core samples, you'll find out that this parasite has been around for quite some time. It's just because of certain environmental aspects of uh, runoff and things are probably in, uh, expiring it to, to dominate more and come out, flourish it. Colin, I'm ask a question of you. Uh, how aware of this story were you there near North Carolina before tonight? This has been uh, something that comes up when we have a lot of hot weather, drought conditions. You'll get fish killed then. But when we have a lot of rain, a lot of runoff, the parasite's not a problem. Um, it's a twofold problem. You've got environment. You've got people who are lobbyists that will that will poo-poo this if it comes up and say it's no big deal. But you also have environmentalists who make it sound like uh, it's the end of the world type of fact uh, of, of a animal, and you know this is going to happen to us if we don't treat it. And that's well, the, the sad thing about it. It's it's an organism that's been in the arboreal sound. I'm sure if you do core samples and do better studies on it and make it sound like it's uh, the raft of God. Uh, it's just becoming a little bit more prevalent because of environmental reasons, dredging, runoff, uh, you know, things that are making it may grow a little faster, uh, drought conditions, uh, when the Albemarle Sound doesn't have a lot of rain, all right, the water uh, is more... Uh, all right, Paul, I think we've likely. got the picture. Rodney, uh, how do you answer that? That sounds like somebody you would debate with or, or may have well, been debating with. No, I, mean, I think he's, he's making a point. I think the perception for a lot of people down there as well, we've got this situation here, but, you know, it isn't as bad um, as some people are making it out to be, and yet it's worse than some others are making it out to be. And what I did in this book that had not been done was to go out and to comprehensively bring the information that was available both from the scientific community and from the academic community and then down to collecting stories from people um, mainly in the Pamlico um, sound and the rivers that feed that to get the, the, from them. And I'm getting a much more complete picture. All right, but I, I, also have, I also talk to the doctors in the area and doctors doing scientific studies and all of that adds up to a much more informed and an alarming picture. All right. Um, you said there was a letter sent to Vice President Gore. Yeah by 110 doctors in North Carolina, which essentially said what? Well, I'm looking at it right now. Well, um, let's hear it. Okay, physicians are usually notoriously uninvolved in political or environmental issues. An environmental issue is now, however, threatening the people of our community in New Bern, North Carolina. As doctors, we feel the need to speak out as advocates of our patients to protect them from possible health risk which in this case involves exposure to our coastal rivers. The pollution in our rivers has caused an overgrowth of several organisms, one known as Pisteria, which has been implicated not only in fish, heels, fish kills, but in mammalian neurological dysfunction. And it goes on to call upon Dr. Al Gore to get involved and show a concern about this problem. And that's 100 physicians 110 in North Carolina. physicians 110. signed this from three coastal counties. Oh, my God. All right. Uh, would you go swimming in those waters? No. Would you drink any of that water? No. Well, of course, it's salt water you would drink. No, anyway, but, maybe. you know, it's, they're, they're talking about, because of the population expansion of a thing called the global transport there, of using waters from the noose that is heavily polluted and treating it and becoming, turning it into drinking water. How does it get... 
how how does how do we know it's airborne? Well, they could because of two things. One, in the laboratory, um, you had workers who were exposed to its toxins um, that came down with the same symptoms of people who come into contact with it. Um, people out on the estuaries who have been exposed to these blooms have succumbed to the same series of symptoms. And in the laboratory test with rats, they're finding that they exhibit the same symptoms. And a lot of people are calling this fish AIDS. Fish AIDS. Because they have found that, you know, it's hard to get human subjects to experiment upon. So you know, we're at that stage where we're getting an awful lot of circumstantial reports from a variety of people. We have the experience of researchers who didn't take proper precautions in the lab, but we're having to rely on other species, and that is fish, and that is the rats. All right, what, did, what was determined? Uh, I remember when you were talking to Linda Moulton Howe, mm -hmm. she asked you something about, they did an experiment with this animal and human blood. They put human blood, I guess, in a Petri dish or yep. something like that. And if you'll hold on after the bottom of the hour, we'll tell everybody what happened. And um, so if you think this is not a serious problem, I suggest you stick around for a moment. The book is, And the Waters Turned Blood. We will tell you how to get that. It's absolutely an incredible story. And everybody should know about it. Now, he's been on ABC's Good Morning America and I believe CNN. But, uh, you know, until Brokaw says it, as you all know, it just isn't true. Sit back, listen, and decide for yourself. This is CBC. Art Bell is taking calls on the wild card line at 702-727-1295. That's 702-727-1295. First-time callers can reach Art Bell at 702-727-1222. 702-727-1222. Now, here again, Art Bell. I'm afraid what we are discussing this morning is worse than science fiction. I wish it was science fiction. It's not. It's what's happening in our oceans, and while the people in the Carolinas apparently know about it, I'm afraid you may be finding out about it for the first time. There's something new, alive, part plant, part animal, or in this case, animal, killing fish. Uh, in, in effect, uh, giving fish what's, what's being called fish aids, sores that will not heal. Um, many other symptoms, if uh, in a human being, and it's airborne, um, w will cause uh, cognitive uh, difficulties, uh, will cause immune system suppression, and it is airborne, and in a moment we're going to tell you what it does to human blood. My guest is Rodney Barker, and he wrote, And the Waters Turned to Blood. And Art wishes this was science fiction. It is not. Give me, oh, by the way, on my website right now, um, a link to the Charleston Post and Courier, uh, which has an article entitled, Scientists Track the Phantom. The Phantom You're About to Hear About. All right.
Anyway, well, this may have nothing to do with anything, but uh, our ABC News at the top of the hour uh, just ran a story that girls are developing sexually at an extremely young age in North Carolina. Reports said doctors believe it is because of elevated levels of estrogen in diet. 50% of black and 15% of white girls are affected in North Carolina. Uh, does that strike you as uh, odd, Rodney? Yeah, both yes and no. You know, um, I think this is a theme in your book, Art, that I mean, the, the world is going through I mean, some revolutionary changes now because of what we've done to, done to it. And, uh, you know, we've all known that, you know, if we continue to put pressures on the environment around us, um, population and pollution pressures, that sooner or later, later limits will be reached and it will come back to haunt us. I think it's pushing back. Yeah, and the question is, you know, what, what, what does it look like? Will we recognize it and how will we respond? And I think some of the things that your listeners are sending in tonight, some of the things that both you are concerned about and I am, are, are, are examples of the Earth striking back. All right. Um... Look, they took some of this animal, you're calling it, yeah. and and did what with a Petri dish with well, human what, blood? What happened was, and you know, the news gets worse <laughs> in terms of uh, they still do not know the full um, range of the human health effects here because the toxins of this organism have not been characterized yet, and typically marine toxins are released in sweets. That's S-U-I-T-E-S. Um, the brevitoxin that causes red tide, there are six different toxins there. They think there are at least this many here, and that means six different ways at least it can get you. Six, six different manifestations. I mean, some may target the liver, some the lung, some the heart, um, some the central nervous system. So they just they still don't have all the answers in here. But what you're asking me about is something that they do know. And that is, is when the assistant to this Dr. Joanne Burkholder at North Carolina State, who discovered this organism, when he finally recovered his mental abilities, this is after three or four months of being out of the lab because he had inhaled its toxins, he came back into the lab one night and he wanted to see if it, if it affected human blood. And I go into this in the book, The Dramatic Incident, as he goes in there and he takes a sample from his hand, he puts it under the microscope, puts it on the slide, he puts the water with this organism in it, and he watches, and he watches this organism literally swarm around his blood cells like a vampire and suck all his blood cells of the, uh, in, in the internal contents. And they went from one blood cell to the next blood cell to the next until all were consumed. Until all were consumed. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. You know, again, this is so alarming to people mm -hmm. that I want to be very sure that everybody understands that we're not just feeding them some sort of science fiction. No. Uh, what we're telling them about what's going on in North Carolina and apparently elsewhere yeah. um, is well documented. Um, now, how do... I guess people are going to want to read your book. So how do they get your book? Well, the book is available around the country. There was a big ad in the New York Times book review this weekend. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's widely distributed. But let me say, Art, you know, one of the things that we have to be careful about is just overwhelming people with bad news. And I, I think that really what I tried to do in this book, too, is to, to present it in a somewhat inspiring context. And that is the struggle 
and I can't say victory yet, that would be maybe the epilogue for the paperback, of this female scientist to get authorities to be responsible to it. And what she goes through and the sort of the struggle still is inspiring in a way that I hope can galvanize people and rather than sort of depress them. Well, I'm sitting here feeling sorry for the people of North Carolina yeah. because I realize the impact it's going to have on They them. deserve better. And I, that's what I said there. And that's why I went there expecting a lot of hostility and antagonism. And I was uh, continually, wherever I went, I was thanked by people that made me feel like I was speaking for a lot of the citizens in that, that state who are being unnecessarily victimized. I'll tell you why that is, Rodney. It's because everybody knows it's true. Yeah. Everybody knows this is going on. I they know. damn well know about it. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Oh, wait a minute. I didn't push the button. There we go. First time caller line, now you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, I'm calling from uh, the Midwest. All right. Okay. Uh, just as an aside to your uh, uh, remark about the early uh, sexual maturation of uh, young women. Yes. There was a report done, oh goodness, I'd say about 94, 95, I've got a copy of it around somewhere here, that uh, was done in England right around in the Thames estuary, and they noticed a significant increase in the uh, amount of deformed fish, primarily with dual sets of sexual organs. And the causal link between that type of deformity and uh, the environmental impact of uh, birth control pills that it entered into. Linked to estrogen in some way, in other words. Pardon me? Linked in some way to estrogen as Correct. the story. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's all over, <laughs> yeah. basically. Um, my question for Rodney is uh, what in particular, as far as uh, the areas where these uh, organisms are located, is this uh, industrialized areas, agricultural areas? What what type of runoff is this attributed to? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what what they're finding um, is is that they, it's a system that has been um, really inundated with variety of runoffs, agriculture, industrial, um, sewage um, treatment plants, um, and even not what they call non-point sources. That would be acid deposition, runoffs from sewers, golf courses. But really what has tipped the balance is the swine industry. And the, um, that was courted, um, by North Carolina that saw the writing on the wall with tobacco. And the way they treat hog influence is very primitive. They use hog lagoons there. And so it, it leaches into the water table and the nitrogen and phosphorus, the, the nutrients that are in that hog waste have really thrown the ecological balance over the brink. Um, so, yeah, that's what makes it so difficult because every time you point your finger at one sort of source of the problem, you got four fingers going in other directions. Um, so all of it is, uh, is contributing to it, and that's why they're having so much trouble uh, getting people to clean up because it is economically um, costly, and no one person can be pointed to as you're the source of the blame, and they're all contributing to it. All right. Wild card line, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Alex, and uh, I live about 25 minutes from North Carolina. Yes, sir. And uh, I'm, I read, you know, the USA Today every day. I read our local paper here, and I watch CNN and news, so I'm not media literate, but I haven't heard anything about this. All right. And I guess uh, my question is, well, I, I guess first of all, I say I've heard the ABC report, too, about the girls uh, um, right. maturing at eight. And right. That that may or may not have any relationship. Well, to that's what I was saying. I didn't I didn't hear them say North Carolina in particular. They they didn't mention that in the 
the ABC News report that I heard. But in anyway, my question with with the um, hepatitis outbreak that you know that everybody's hearing about with the strawberries and that kind of deal, yeah. you know that came from Mexico, right? Right. Which supposedly we're supposed to have stringent laws about things that come into the United States. Somebody violated a law, by the way. Uh, it is against the law to import for uh, distribution for that purpose, so there's going to be a lot of... Uh, oh, okay. There's well, going to be a whole lot of uh, trouble for somebody over this, believe me. Well, how I wanted to relate that was, with this being from our own area, I mean, with, you know, the North Carolina fishing industry and that, do you not think that, you know, it would be very easy for us to ship around fish that is infected by this too yeah, oh i see um, that's a very good question um, rodney what about the fish that yeah. are caught in north carolina and sent uh... all over the place for one reason or another well uh, i met on saturday night i went down to um, moorhead city to meet with the north carolina fisheries association who were upset at the negative publicity um, that was coming out and the idea that it might have impact their industry and i have to say i said to them fellows you should never have been put in a situation when this organism was first identified and linked to fish kills in nineteen ninety three you should have demanded right there and then from your state tests to determine what toxin it releases and is that toxin in the fish flesh? Is it in the seafood there that you're exporting to other states? If not, you're putting yourself in a legally precarious position. They have basically not had those studies done, so they, they do not have the scientific data to reassure people. Now, let me say, cooking fish, for the most part, neutralizes toxins, but not always. And the possibility that on a microscopic level, these toxins are harboring those fish flesh and are going out, if those studies come out later on and confirm that presence, I mean, there are going to be major lawsuits, and so they, they I mean, they are, they should have moved in this a long time ago, and that's not my fault, and that's not only not their fault either, that's the state bureaucracies that should be making those tests. All right. Um, part of the book that I just wrote has to do with the weather changes. Mm -hmm. uh, let me read you what I just got. Art, as I sit here in Minneapolis and uh, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, with the worst flooding in recent memory a month and a half early, with a blizzard raging on at 30 degrees below zero wind chill in April, winds up to 60 miles per hour, with floodwaters, freezing cars, houses, and everything else that moves flat in its tracks, I can only come to the conclusion that it is the beginning of the geographic changes that so many guests have predicted. Now will man be able to adapt and cope with these changes, or is it also the beginning of the life changes that are to come to bear. Is this the weather change that Ed Dames remotely viewed? What next? A volcano, a, a volcano in Kansas or an earthquake in South Dakota? Um, so we have been, we, you know, we've had a, a year of this or more now, Rodney. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the weather is clearly, clearly changing. Yeah. You have some very eloquent listeners, Art. Um, yeah, and the um, as the weather changes and the climate impacts the environment, we can expect more strange phenomena. We can also expect new new species to mutate that we had not been previously toxic or harm for people, and uh, we're only going to know about it when they start manifesting bizarre symptoms. Um, and I see this organism is an example of that. All right, and we should be clear that this new or old organism. Um, this horrible thing that mm -hmm. will
kill fish and uh, what can it kill human beings? Well, I mean, I, I, it is not kill them. The lethality is not directly related. Where you can say, well, you're exposed to this, you take it in your system, you are going to die. Other than the compromised immune system, um, we don't. Again, we don't know what all it does, and that's what we shouldn't be in this position of ignorance because this was brought to the attention of the health authorities. You know three years ago and we still don't know answers and they are still doing studies all of those this is everything we learn about it is disturbing it gets worse all right if, if, if they, the Rodney, if they have um, a very bad year in North Carolina yeah, meaning it gets very hot mm -hmm. very hot uh, probably with hurricanes roaring in uh, how is that going to affect this well, I mean, they've been talking about that. Is if we don't act uh, as a result of the publicity generated by this book, um, and then we have on top of that another bad summer, you know, we are in real trouble here. So we need to begin to start doing things. And that's why I, when I was there, I really tried to give the book somewhat of a positive spin. And to the North Carolinians, really, you know, this is a challenge and an opportunity. You can set an example for other states by how you handle this situation because there will be a paperback, and that paperback will have an updated chapter of what North Carolina has done since this book has come out. Um, but if you have another bad summer and you don't begin to act on this book, you know, then that's, that could really spell major economic problems. Well, well the story I've got from Wilmington, Delaware, mm -hmm. and the story from South Africa, and, mm -hmm. and people I think have seen that on CNN, Red Tide there, mm -hmm. with just thousands of things crawling out of the sea it's unbelievable yeah. uh, thousands of tons excuse me um, this may already have spread I mean it may be too late in that regard well I mean I like to think yeah, the only way to stop this you know, I propose they do extensive monitoring and detection um, systems in all the hot spots of North Carolina this summer and then issue alerts like you have in LA pollution alerts have them publicly posted in the newspaper what the levels of this organism are, where, when are the days you don't go fishing or don't go swimming. That doesn't solve the problem. That but immediately addresses the concern of people. In the long run, the only way they're going to solve it is really not solving it but manage it, and that is by cutting back on the nutrients and the pollutants that are going into the rivers. What do you think the chances are we'll actually do that? Oh, gosh, Art. You know, I mean, I, I, I think that if, if the North Carolinians can say it's going to cost us more if we don't do it than if we do, there's hope. Are they're not yet to that point, though? I don't think you have the political political support up in the legislature, and I know the governor is in a difficult situation because of the incredible pressures of the hog industry there. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Hey, I'm in North Carolina. Yes, sir. Where in North Carolina? Charlotte. Charlotte. And I've suffered with uh, the neurotoxin degrees bacterially for over 20 years. And it is a terrible thing to go through. I now do support group work. I found some answers that helped me uh, after 20 years. I became housebound, uh, city-bound, and then housebound. Couldn't get out of bed. Uh, I'm now living 98% normal life again. And uh, Rodney Barker's book uh, we i've been of course keenly aware of this because of my illness i've been looking into all this all right but uh let me ask you have you seen a lot of publicity about it there in north carolina well it's been like his book when it came out there's been a two-minute snitch on the local news tv and things like that but the articles have been in the paper about the he's right about the hog farming 
and one of our big senators has a huge uh, uh, hog interest, and his lagoons broke and polluted, and they find him, you know, a slap on the wrist. Um, but basically, the uh, the news, you know, has been kind of spotty. But if you really have been aware of it, I mean, I've been aware of it for for a, quite a few years, and they are getting sores, and and they and the the brain symptoms of the first three I go to, the short-term memory loss being the second uh, most uh, prominent symptom. And, you know, you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and see the leaves on the trees and you wonder if you're going crazy because you thought you went to sleep in the winter. All right, sir, I appreciate the call. Uh... Yeah, Art, uh, I was in Charlotte um, at the beginning of last week, and in, in Charlotte is more inland; it's not on the coast. Um, and right. Uh, he, he's right in terms of the regional coverage. I did a couple of TV spots and a couple of radio shows there. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what it takes to sort of blanket the media. I've done a number of national shows. I was on Dateline two weeks ago, as well as Good Morning America and CNN. Um, and there is the New York Times, and I know in Raleigh this has been a big story. Uh, and uh... all right, if I if I play the bureaucrat who thinks uh, Rodney Barker is full of it, mm -hmm. and that this is just some sort of uh, overblown mm -hmm. non-story that Rodney Barker is blowing up to uh, sell books, how do you answer it? Well, I mean. I say go to the newspapers, go to the down on the coast, talk to the doctors who are seeing the patients, take a trip down through all those coastal towns and cities that I do, see how seriously they take it, um, talk to the people who've been given money to do research, see how seriously they take it. The only people who are going to be talking like that are going to be the bureaucrats who I challenge and reveal and expose in the book. I mean, for the most part, I am getting um, endorsement uh, from both the scientific circles, from the medical circles, and certainly from the population. Rodney, if we do nothing at all, what will happen? I think um, you're going to have um, we're going to have more and more of one of the long-standing things is we're talking about health care in this country, and I think you're going to have chronic problems. You're going to have acute problems. Um, I think that it's going to have a major, major impact on North Carolina. I think it's going to, its economy, its population is going to be affected. Um, I mean, I, it's, I, I hate to think about that, Art. I mean, it, it's only going to get worse and dramatically worse because, I mean, points, the critical point has been reached in North Carolina. I think it's the first in line from the way a lot of, of, of coastal states are going to be affected by these kinds of problems. And um, North Carolina now, the, the East Coast uh, as a whole, perhaps later. All right, yeah. Rodney, can you hold on? I can. All right. Uh, coming to the top of the hour, Rodney Barker is my guest, and The Waters Turned Blood is his book. I'm Art Bell, and you're listening to the CBC Radio Network. presentation of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. I want uh, Rodney to hear this. Uh, Rodney, are you a religious person? Um, 
moderate. I, I'm not a practicing, I don't go to church, but I, I have my own private religion that I, I, I continue to believe in. Well, that makes two of us then. Yeah. Listen to this. Uh, it is from Pastor Bradley. Uh, dear Art and Rodney, I know you don't like quoting from the Bible on your show, but there is a verse that describes precisely what your guest is talking about. It is, it is described in the curse of the second bowl, which is found in Revelation 16:2, and reads, quote, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. The very next verse, number four, describes the same thing being introduced into the fresh water system. Quote, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Signed, Pastor Bradley. Hmm. I'm not a strictly religious person by a long shot either, and I'm not sure how to approach what we're doing to ourselves right now, Rodney, but I don't know. That gives me sort of a nervous little yeah, tick. <laughs> it certainly does, too. I, I know that I was aware and um, excited by the um, recent sort of coalition building between um, environmentalists and theologians who do see um, a, a common cause in, in the preserving of the earth and being the steward of the earth. And uh, I, mean, that, that's, I, mean, I, I like hearing about that kind of coming together. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, politically, most of my life, I have been... A conservative with libertarian leanings. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, and the traditional conservative position on environmental matters is BS. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 BS, and uh, all that matters is the economy. And I have come in uh, well, the last several years to understand that it's not BS. That I'm afraid it's real. What we're doing to ourselves is now coming back to haunt us. It's what drove me to write this book. Mm -hmm. I guess it's what drove you to write the book, isn't it? In larger part, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, let's take a few more calls. First time caller line. You're on the air with Rodney Barker in L.A. Hi. Hello, Art. Hi. Uh, Where are you? In Hannibal, Missouri, hometown of Mark Twain. Yes, sir. I used to live in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is right on the border of north and south carolina next to charlotte and uh the guy that called just a little while ago i can back up what he said the catawba river which ran i'd say maybe about half a block away from where my apartment was had a very interesting occurrence to say the least happening there in the latter part of 93 going into 94 what was that there were scores of fish that ended up on the bank's of the rivers on both sides. It was as if somebody had just plowed right down the center of it with a net or something and just shoved all the fish over to the side. I mean, there were thousands of them laying around. Thousands. The soil conservation people were running around telling people to keep away from the river, away from the fish, because they were rotting and it would get you sick and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But considering it was so close to my house, you know, I was wondering what the heck is going on with all the smell down there. I went to take a look, and I saw fish with the same kinds of signs and symptoms as what I've seen on the TV, the sores and stuff like that. There were kids that, during that same time frame, had been downriver playing around in the water, mm -hmm. and they had come down with meningitis, one of which was 17 years old, football star, no problems whatsoever health-wise, who died from it. You know, just boom, out of the clear blue, no, no rhyme, no reason. The health officials blew it off, and they would not admit, even when we called the CDC to say, look, are we in danger mm -hmm. 
Are we having an outbreak? What's going on? The people down there, up to and including Dr. David Thatcher, the director who I personally talked to about this, would not tell us anything. Just blew us off and said, oh, there's nothing to it, mm-hmm. which is typical of the downplaying of the usual government bureaucracy. You know. Mm-hmm. All right. I, uh, thank you. I, I have got to somehow impress the audience with the... Uh the urgency of this, uh, 110 physicians from North Carolina wrote a letter to our vice president. That's 110 doctors in North Carolina. Would you read it one more time, please? <clears throat> Certainly will. Let me just say before I do, I said it, it's really amazing when you do something like this, the different stories you hear from people who have encountered something similar, whether it's this organism or not, but, I mean, who are frustrated um, by what is happening to the environment and the lack of response on the part of public health officials. This letter um, is to dear Vice, dear Vice President Gore. It's from physicians of Craven County, North Carolina, and surrounding areas. It reads, Physicians are, not, are usually notoriously uninvolved in political or environmental issues. An environmental issue is now, however, threatening the people of our community in Newburn, North Carolina, and nearby. As doctors, we feel the need to speak out as advocates of our patients to protect them from the possible health risk, which in this case involves exposure to our coastal waters. The pollution in our rivers has caused an overgrowth of several organisms, one known as Fisteria, implicated not only in fish kills, but mammalian neurologic dysfunction. And it goes on and it calls upon Vice President Al Gore to come in to support the governor. To me, it's a stunning rebuke to the public health system in North Carolina that they are going above them outside the state appealing to Vice President Al Gore for help. All right. Now, suppose I lived uh, in the state of Maine on the coast. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take it. I'm going to just give you a reaction. I'm going to say, "Look, fine, that's North Carolina's problem. Uh, that's not my problem. I don't care." Well, I would say to them that uh, that this organism has been found up and down the eastern seaboard. I would say to them that they should not be complacent just because they have not been impacted by this particular organism. Because I think what this is, organism indicates is that our coastal waters are being changed by environmental and pollution pressures, and if it's not this organism, it very well easily could be another organism, and all the scientists are predicting that this is the direction we're moving in. There's going to be a global increase in these kind of pathogens, and they're going to be happening in Maine's waters sooner or later, and they've even had, there was a big um, incident up in Canada dealing with toxicity. I just picked on Maine as a... Yeah, I know, but I mean, so you are not immune simply because you live in those northern waters. In other words, if we don't do something, Mm -hmm. the ocean is literally going to be poisoned. Is poisoned a wrong word? Well, no, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, there is a strong possibility that this kind of thing is going on elsewhere, and the organism just has not yet all right, you heard the story, maybe some of the audience mm-hmm. did not, that I just read, mm-hmm. uh, which just broke out of South Africa. There are some photographs uh, on CNN or some a video of it. An estimated 1,000 tons of crayfish have literally walked out of the ocean, worrying marine experts, I'm quoting from CNN, um, due to a red tide, trying to escape a red Tide and what you're talking about is a red tide, isn't it? Well, it's, it's a, the organism that I'm talking about in North Carolina is really a cousin to the organism that causes the red tide. A yeah. nastier cousin? 
Yes, it's a master cousin because it, it exhibits direct predatorial behavior, um, attacking fish, and the, the toxin appears to be more more potent and more dangerous to humans than the one causing red tide. All right. Wild card line, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Good morning, Mr. Bell. This is Robert in San Joaquin Valley. Yes, sir. First of all, that uh, Golden Eagle food, I tried that. And they've come a long way from uh, yeah. K-Rash. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yes, good evening, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, I'm really enjoying hearing you. Uh, there's so many things I could ask you. But I, let me lump it all in one real quick, Art, and then I'll listen on the air. Sure. First of all, um, after I mention the main subject, I, I, I was hoping maybe you could tell us, because we can't really depend on... Uh, politicians and their agendas, what we could do to come together in hopes that we can turn things around. If, Pressure. Yeah, if it's not too little, too late. But uh, are you familiar with the red tide, the Salton Sea in Southern California? Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead and tell us more about it, though. I'd like to hear what you're... Uh, they've had it several times. I drove by there uh, not too many years ago. All the fish were floating. Mm -hmm. The stench was terrible. The people were, were sick. The birds were getting sick. Yeah, birds are falling out of the air. Yes, sir. I was just wondering if you knew much about that and what yeah, the cause is. Yeah, well, I, I know that it's been linked to um, what is called the fertilization of the coastal waters, which is causing um, various microorganism cells to turn toxic, and then it works its way up the food chain. And you've had that problem here. You had uh, a die-off in '91 of pelicans that were feeding on anchovies that had then uh, were feeding on uh, di toxic diatoms. And so California has had its bouts, as well as the whole Pacific Coast has, with these marine organisms turning toxic. And in this case, as we said, working its way up the uh, the food chain. All right, I've got two reports here. One from MSNBC. Let me read it. At a conference in Brussels. Insurance company scientists warn not only that climate is changing, but that resulting storms and other erratic weather could actually bankrupt the industry. A quote, it is feared uh, that climate change will produce in nearly all regions of the world new extreme values of many insurance-relevant parameters that will lead to natural disasters of unprecedented severity and frequency. And now from CNN, McGinty, Clinton's point person on environmental issues, largely steered clear of the blame, commenting, focusing instead on the consequences of doing nothing. McGinty said, quote, as we see increasingly severe storms, we begin to get a glimpse of what a post-climate change world would look like. But I'm beginning to wonder if we're going to make it that far. You know, when it comes to the environment art, we have relied on other species to be our early warning systems. That's why miners took canaries into the, into the mines with them. When they stopped singing, they knew they had their air problems. But the assumption is, is when the environment reaches a point where it can longer support wildlife, that we will recognize that. We'll pay attention to it, and we will react to it. And... Boy, some of the stories we've heard tonight, you hear about the frogs up in Minnesota and Wisconsin, oh, yes. I mean, growing legs out of different parts of their body. Let me give you one that you might not know about. Okay. I live out here in the desert, uh, Rodney, mm -hmm. and um, a Lake Mead is the, um, uh, the big uh, a drinking mm -hmm. water uh, supply mm -hmm. for Las Vegas. And there were front-page headlines about two months ago that said that the carp in Lake Mead were showing gross deformities. Now, 
bear in mind, this is in the drinking water of Las Vegas. Mm. Well, you know, and Art, there are those who say, you know, it's not fair to extrapolate from other species to human health. And I, I think that's, huh. well, that's the case I make in this book, is basically the line between us and them, between other species and people, has been crossed. The same things we're doing to the environment that are causing an organism to emerge as killing fish. Well, why do they call it the food? Why they call it the food chain? It's a food chain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. We're, we're we're at the top of it. Oh, I see. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with. First-time callers call area 702-727-1222. Oh, hold it, Steve. Uh, we can't yes. allow you to put a last name on the air. Okay. Uh, so let us begin again. Your name is Steve, and Steve, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Wilmington, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. uh, two questions for you and maybe a main concern. Uh, this, you said it's going might go be going airborne, right? No. Well, it, it does. The toxin aerosolizes. He is airborne. It is airborne. All right. Uh, being that I'm just about two minutes away from the ocean and a few minutes away from several of the branches of, off the Cape Fear River, mm -hmm. is it possible that I could be affected? And if so, should I be in the thought of moving someplace else? Oh, no. I, I wouldn't alarm there. First of all, um, yeah, we're talking about blooms of this organism. That's when you have concerns. Um, when it blooms in the water, then, and the problem is, you, like a red tide, you don't get the discoloration. That's when the toxin aerosolizes. In terms of the ocean side, even though it has a salinity tolerance for the ocean, the churning of the waves, the turning over, makes it so that it's inhospitable for it. So on the exterior parts of the oceans, you don't need to worry. It has been found in the Cape Fear, yes. Um, I would keep my, you know, attuned to the, the newspaper there. The Wilmington Star News is very good on this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I was just in Wilmington last week, and you have a river keeper there who is monitoring this kind of situation, um, and I had a long conversation with him, so there will be those kind of alerts posting. He's going to be looking for it, too, so I would not consider moving at this time, no. Okay. I don't think you would. Again, I, I think you should become involved, and, I mean, if there, if, I mean, stay in touch with your riverkeeper there. All right. Uh, on the other hand, mm -hmm. uh, if he were to ask you, should I go swimming? Well, the Cape Fear's got its problems, too. I mean, all those, all those coastal rivers, I mean, it's not one thing, it's another. There's been a variety of bacteria and organisms they've been found in those rivers. Um, I don't think they're healthy places. Um, I certainly wouldn't. I believe in informed consent art, and that's, uh, that's what, that's what makes me so angry here is, is that, that the, the, the health and the environmental bureaucracies are, do not, just don't have the information to be able to provide to citizens and consumers to make them feel meaningfully reinsured of what they know what they're eating or what they're swimming in. All right, caller. So the, the word is you don't have to move, but um, stay informed. Okay, one more quick question for you. Sure. Uh, how much do you think it's going to get worse? All right, it, again, it, that goes back to if we do nothing, yeah. what well, are we facing? Well, I, I can say to you this, is that there was, I mean, if we look back in time, the population sort of shifts move from rural to urban. Now the population shift is moving to the coastlines. You look at what states are growing the fastest. It is our coastal states. I mean, that is clearly the target area. Those coastal waters are the breeding zones for these new organisms. The states are going to have more and more people to them, which is going more and more pollution and population pressures. All right. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Hello. Hello. Uh, yes, I'm... Well, I have a couple of questions. Um, one is, 
Are there any places one could go, I mean, aside from your book, obviously, which is a prime source of information, mm -hmm. which could be considered um, an official... <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're saying. Research. Yeah, there, there are, I mean, if you can look, uh, in my book it refers to um, a Nature article, a scientific prestigious journal out of uh, out of Britain, um, when it was first published about this. Um, I cannot refer you to any information in terms of, of the state officials in North Carolina. There are a couple of environmental groups, um, foundations that, that are clearing houses for information. Um, perhaps if you wanted to call our producer back or our back at a later time, I could give them those numbers. You could call them. All right. In the meantime, we've got a related article now on our website, caller. So if you have a computer, it's www.artbell.com. All right, Rodney, sit yeah. tight. Uh, we'll be back to you in a moment. His book, And the Waters Turned to Blood. Uh, this is a, uh, a very strange organism we are discussing that unfortunately, um, well, is now affecting the fish, but also is beginning to affect human beings. Uh, you might want to stick around and listen. I'm Art Bell, and this is CBC. And now, back to the best of Art Bell. Pollution more than I am this yeah, horrible right. little bug. Well, you know, I, I, I really see when we talk about North Carolina as a signal event, sending up a flare for a lot of other states to see. And um, that's what my hope is, and that's why I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, Art, is to bring this issue to the attention of people around the country. Um, because, yes, we have a major problem in North Carolina, but other states are just standing in line. It's going to be coming their way. All right. East of the Rockies, you are on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Hi, I'm Larry. I'm calling from Watertown, Wisconsin tonight. I've lived in western North Carolina for 13 years. Um, they have a very large commercial farm, fish farm industry in western North Carolina, rainbow trout, right. uh, catfish. And uh, I started, you know, I drove by one on the way home from work, so I have my wife, you know, I dip some out for the, have the guy dip some of the fish out for my wife. And her health has started to go downhill. And uh, they've just opened a new fish market in town that she's been patronizing, and she's took very seriously ill. Uh, she's been eating orange roughy and uh, some other things, and I just spoke with her when the program came on. To, you know, we, we have a lot of trouble getting you on the radio in western North Carolina in the mountains, and uh, she is she's very ill. She's, you know, to the point she can't sleep, pains, or she's starting to become forgetful. She locked herself out of the house. They didn't even take a purse or keys, and you know how a woman is with her purse. Uh, well, these are symptoms typical of what Rodney has described. That doesn't mean that's what this is, though. Uh, although it does sound eerily familiar, doesn't it, Rodney? Yeah. Um, again, as we said, Arjun, when you, when you start writing about this kind of thing, you become, um, I mean, you hear all kinds of stories about people who are suffering from similar complaints. You know, I, um, I did a little research on the Internet um, with the CDC, and they have um, a site there talking about new and emerging infectious diseases, and under that is a paper that talks about how poorly equipped public health departments are to be able to discern these new uh, waterborne um, diseases from all different sources, and that they um, they just don't have the, the sophistication of the uh, to detect them, and they don't test for them, and they really are crisis-oriented, and they wait till just a, you know, there's ongoing health problems before they'll finally react to a situation. I know. Well, you're not a doctor, but what would you say to this fellow? Oh, boy, I um, 
having gone through that, I mean, here there's so many stories of those people who have had that kind of thing. I, I just don't know any personal physicians. I, I I just don't know what to say to this individual. Um, Caller, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry um, for you. Sir, I, yeah. Um, is there any danger of that organism being in uh, mountain streams in western No, North no, let me, let me reassure you about that. I mean, you, you may have other sources of pollution in your mountain streams, but in terms of western or North Carolina, I mean, I know there's paper mills up there, and I know there's been some spraying up there, so that might be the source of your problem. This particular organism, no. I, I, mean, I don't want to alarm you about it. That doesn't seem to be, I mean, you don't need to worry about this causing those problems. All right. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Hi. Where, where are you, sir? I'm, my name is Francis. I'm calling from uh, Grass Valley, California. I'm listening on KNCO. Okay. And uh, I have a couple. I'm an activist over in my area uh, with the Green Party, and, uh, we're, and my point is I'd like to request that, that the letter that uh, the doctors get put on the website so that people could have access to that. I think it's valuable information for people I think it is too. I do, too. Uh, I'll tell you what. Um, um, Rodney, if you will supply it to me, okay. I, I will see to it that it gets on the website. Okay. I'll be I glad a, to do that, Art. All right, caller. Sir, I have another quick request. Yeah. Another quick comment. May I? Yes. Um, a while back, you had this, this is a quick comment, you had this um, game you played called If I Were a Dictator. Well, if I were a dictator... Whenever someone, a uh, certain conservative radio talk show host, used the term environmental wacko, yeah. I would have him castrated. All right, well, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sorry. My views have, uh, have, what would be the right word? They've gone past any political concerns or beliefs that I had, and I have embraced because of scientific fact that a lot of people are just... Uh, uh, ignoring right now about what's going on with our environment, I have begun to realize, as many, many, many others have, that we are really screwing up the place we live in. Yeah, you know, Art, I was asked on a program, like, well, why, actually, I think it was Good Morning America, well, you know, why would not health officials react? And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult to answer that because you think it's, it's, this is their job. And um, it's, a, it's a complex mix of motives, but one of the things that I, I think that, that is, that I've, I encountered in this book, and I think it's part of one of the, in fact, it is one of the themes of the book, and that is how much information is enough. And, I mean, I think that a lot of our health departments, you know, their demand for scientific certainty um, is beyond reason, beyond common sense. They want absolute scientific consensus. They want perfect information. And you're never going to get that. And I understand and you know, to run the engines of environmental protection cost money. You need to have information because industries can bring lawsuits unless you can back up regulations. But nevertheless, I mean, there reaches a point where if you're going to err, you're going to err on the side of protecting public health. And I find that a lot of these public health agencies are just so conservative in their demand for more and more science just to avoid those tough political and economic uh, consequences. Now, you nevertheless have a lot of science behind uh, what you have written. Don't I, I issued a challenge to that public health department, to the environmental agency there, the um, Division of Environmental Management. If you have any disagreement with the contentions in my book, let's sit down and let's select a major newspaper. I chose the News and Observer from Raleigh, but I said anyone you want, and I'll present my data and my information and my sources, and you present yours. And let's have the public decide. And I have had nobody 
take me up on that challenge. And I know someone from the governor's office went to the health department to say, what are your problems with this? And they tried to nickel-dime me. But it was little things that had no consequence to the, the serious ch challenges there. And she was completely, um, I mean, appalled and went back and actually reported that to the governor. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hello. Hi. Hi. Nice to be talking to you. I'm from Tempe, Arizona. My name is Ellen. Hi, Ellen. Hi. I couldn't believe uh, what Mr. Barker, is that correct? Yes. Was saying. I was just driving home. Uh, it's almost the same here in Arizona. The, the denial until there were actual dead bodies in this case, and overwhelmingly so. Um, there was a circuit board manufacturer that blew up in a minority neighborhood, which, of course, the neighborhood wasn't aware of where of what was being done in there. It created a massive fire four years ago. We now have about 40 people dead on the same street that was downwind from the fire, and eight right away. When the people were let back into their area, it was a poor evacuation um, uh coordination they didn't have one basically and they were let back in too soon but they came back to their dead animals and dead plants on their lawn that that's the kind of message yeah that that would prove not only uh, overwhelming scientific uh, evidence but they went on to say the Arizona State Health Department and uh, the uh, Maricopa County Health Department uh, that they were they were just imagining these symptoms and the deaths were normal and the kids started to get sick. And now, you know, down there, it's very, very common for kids to have their hair falling out. And they don't think it's uncommon down there. So, in other words, the point you're making is that the uh, bureaucracy treated that incident just the way they're treating what's going on in North Carolina right now. Exactly. Not only did we have scientific information that the symptoms were all linked together and not from sick house syndrome, not because... African Americans have bad diets, and they even had the nerve to say that, but because we had many dead people, and what they were saying was, well, they were very old and they were going to die. Well, that, those are the most vulnerable people. Of course. And the, the young and the old. And then when we went further to the federal level, and I petitioned the uh, Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry to mm -hmm. do a public health survey. They were being told by our state agency that they had it under control. Finally, four years later, 80 deaths and many sick, we finally got the Region 9 director to come down and listen to this. All right. Well, does that all sound familiar? Oh, that, yeah. That pattern is repeated again and again. And I mean, I mean, in some respects, this is an old story. And um, and that that's why I think sometimes it takes a book, a catalyst for the kind of the kind of changes bringing to that national attention. I mean, and this woman's story sounds very familiar. And again, I recognize the pattern. Thanks for sharing it with us. All right. Wildcard line. You're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hello. Hey. How y'all doing? Well, you're listening. <laughs> This is Harold in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and I had one quick question. I'll get off and listen to the answer on the air. But we have uh, have down here an epidemic of uh, rabies uh, in the possum and raccoon population, and I was just curious to know if, by chance, this bug in the water is what's causing the rabies epidemic. No, no, absolutely not. Um, and uh, I mean, we really have to be careful. If we're talking about demand for uh, response to the science here, we have to be scientifically. Yeah, everybody begins too. to blame it on everything. Right. Uh, yeah, and that's a, that's a danger. In fact, I was just in Jacksonville, and by the way, yeah, I'm being interviewed by Jacksonville Radio tomorrow morning at about 6:30. <laughs> 
Um, but no, don't worry about the, the rabies. This and, and this organism have no connection whatsoever. So. All right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Hi, this is Steve in New Orleans. Hello, Steve. And um, I know New Orleans has its own problems. Yes. Uh, in fact, I'd like to ask your guest. Um, several times over the past five or ten years, there's been a dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico off of the Louisiana coast. Mm -hmm. yes. And this zone has been growing in size. Um, and what I read from the newspaper was that it might be caused by fertilizer, which was carried down to Mississippi and dumped into the Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I would like to ask your guest if he knows if that is accurate or if there might be some type of organism involved. Rodney? Yeah, I, I can't speak to that. I don't want to overspeak my knowledge here. Um, certainly, um, the waters um, are those you're talking about are prime candidates for what we're talking about. I mean, think about with all the different basins that the Mississippi flushes. So whether you're talking about a specific chemical contaminant in there that is causing um, those dead zones, whether you're talking about the changing environmental conditions that are given birth to organisms are causing that, I really can't speak to. But you know, this this is I mean, either way, it would be it wouldn't surprise me. And I know those are the waters that are going to be tested next for this organism. I know we've talked talk to Dr. Burkholder, who's a scientist here. All right. The name of this organism again, please. The name of the organism is Fisteria piscicida. It translates from Latin to fish killer. Fish killer. And it has caused fish and to have open sores. Open sores. It causes them to have muscle paralysis, and they die from the neurotoxin. They've been dying by the millions in the waters of North Carolina. By the and, millions. Yeah, and, it, uh, and again, this toxin just doesn't stop at fish. Um, not only does it affect the waters, but it affects almost like a poisonous vapor over the um, where these fish kills take place, and people entering those zones are susceptible to So a very dangerous time would be uh, when it's hot, when there's a bloom of this. Yeah. Then it would be misty. It would be airborne. Yeah, and you wouldn't know necessarily. I mean, if, you, if you're looking on the surface for a fish with holes in it to tell you, that's not what the sign is. I mean, those fish could be disturbed down below. It could be in the early state of a bloom. It could be after that. Um, so you, you, mean, you can't tell by looking at the waters whether it's active and whether it's dangerous. And, again, the effect on human beings is? The effect on human beings is not completely understood, but it's all bad news. But the uh, symptoms? The symptoms would be similar to premature Alzheimer's, cognitive difficulty. Um, it seems like multiple sclerosis um, and, uh, and, and cognitive impairment and, uh, and, and more to be told. And immune deficiencies. And immune deficiency, but that's what's so hard is that, that if it's immune deficiency, then you could be um, exhibiting a whole range of symptoms that don't have the signature of this organism and you wouldn't know what's causing it. All right. Uh, let's take a couple more calls, and that's about all we're going to have time for. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Hi. Uh, West of the Rockies, are you there? East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Rodney Barker. Good morning. Yes, this is Charles from Maine. Yes, Charles. Yes, I was wondering if this uh, bug were to infect a human or whatever, like uh, is there any chance of a sore like on the fish? If it were a bug to affect a human, is there a chance of sores on the fish? I, I'm sorry, I'm not understanding. I don't follow question. that either. Like, would the human get the sore, you know, as a oh, symptom? Oh, 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 yes. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the human's exposed to the toxin. See, I mean, what makes this so difficult is, is that I can't, I mean, we can't say to you, like, in the auto industry, if you're exposed to benzene, you get a specific kind of cancer. The, the, the range of toxins have not been clearly identified. The range of human health effects haven't been clearly identified. So there's all kinds of possible symptoms. Well, the symptoms we're describing today are the ones that are known. But until that toxin is studied, until we come up with a set of clinical symptoms associated with it, you know, we really just don't know. Um, the sores on the hands are one indication, and they do not respond to antibiotics. They are slow to heal, and they would be a symptom. But up in Maine, there could be a lot of other things that are causing it, too. All right. Rodney, we're going to have to stop it here. But your book, um, And the Waters Turned Blood, are, is generally available, right? In generally any available bookstore? across the country, Art. And let me say, this has been a public service, and I can't thank you enough for allowing me to bring it to your audience. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time after a busy book signing to be here. Rodney. Well, and it sounds like we're thinking along the same lines, and I'm anxious to read the quickening. Um, I'll arrange it. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you, Art. Take care. That's Rodney Barker, folks. And uh, his book again, And the Waters Turned Blood. Now, it's one more indication of exactly what I have written about in my book, which is called The Quickening. It documents the weather changes, the geographic changes, the social changes, the economic changes, uh, changes in literally every aspect of human endeavor, the exponential quickening, what's going on. It is, um, I suspect, the best book I will ever have written. It is 336 pages, available hardcover only. And I'm going to give you a phone number to order it, but the lines are hopelessly gridlocked. And the best time to call is after 8 o'clock in the morning Pacific time. My book is available as of today. Now, if you want a, a first edition signed autographed copy, now, let me explain this to you, okay? Because last time, we, there were many people screeching about this. I am going to sign copies for as long as I can humanly do it. And then I am going to stop. I'm not putting an actual cutoff date on this. I'll just sign until I get sick of signing, okay? And then you will not be able to get a signed copy. So that's the deal, and I'm going to give you the phone number right now. You can try it right now. You might get lucky and get through, but my guess is after 8 o'clock in the morning, you'd have a better chance. Uh, it, I, all I did was mention it on Dreamland, and it went into utter, complete gridlock uh, yesterday. So you can give it a try. The number is 1-800-864-7900. I have mixed feelings about the effect this... I know the effect this book is going to have. It's going to shock and anger a lot of people. 
but what you will find in it is documented and true. Uh, if you're not the kind of person who puts their head into the sand, then this is a book you definitely want to read. The Quickening is out as of tonight, today, well, actually yesterday now. The number to call is 1-800-864-7991. And I'll be interested, uh, by the way, they ship out right away. They've got them to ship. I we, No pre-orders this time, like with my last book. Um, they're ready to ship as soon as you call. Again, one 800 864 7991. And the quickening is kind of what I think we're going to talk about as the show continues this morning. How could we not? I'm Art Bell, and this is CBC. Hey.